wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. That wasn't his idea. I wish I'd have wrote that book because it's pretty simple. <laughs> God has a plan for your life. So it starts with this. Do you see it? Do you see God's purposes? Now, before I get into this, I, I want to say one other thing. We're going to be operating on several different levels here, all right? At one level is the obvious. At another level is the subtle. And at the subtle level, it's, we're talking spiritual. Do you understand that this model for vision that we're casting right now has to do with your spiritual existence? The metaphor would be, without a revelation of who you are in God, you will wander an eternal wilderness forever. I guess that's oxymoron. You will wander, or redundant, you will wander in the wilderness forever. Apart from a revelation or an understanding of who you are in Jesus, in God, through Jesus Christ, you will wander not only in this life, but in the next life, in the wilderness for an eternity. Aimless, without purpose, because God created you for a reason in His plan. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, the way I preach is that I... Um, I set up the point, and then I'd like to, to uh, tell a story. So in this first story, I want to take you to John chapter 9, a story you're, you're familiar with, you're well acquainted with, because Pastor Curtis has been preaching on it. John chapter 9, a man who was born blind and healed at a pool called Siloam. But do you understand, this is a great story for us at this point, because the man couldn't see. He had no sight. He was blind. That miracle was that Jesus healed him, his blindness, and he could see. But I believe that the other story is more powerful. The revelation that the man received about who he was in Jesus, that he was important to Jesus, that God had a plan for his life in Jesus, and that revelation transformed his thinking. It transformed his life. Do you understand? He was nobody in the community. He was exercised. No, that's not right. He was set apart. He was put over there, and he wasn't allowed to come in. He was a nobody in that culture, and there's lots of reasons that they thought he was a nobody in that culture. Anyway, the point being that Jesus thought he was a somebody, and Jesus, trans thank you, sir. Jesus transformed the way he looked at himself uh, and the way God saw him. This is that man's story, and I hope it speaks to you about the nature of see it. Go ahead. to come here every day so that I can remember. My friend Jimmy, he said, Horace, you should try to eat something bitter every day so you don't lose your taste for it. I sat right here every day for 23 years, ever since I was 12. And my friend Jimmy, he sat right in, over there in front of that beautiful gate. He was lame and I was blind. So he was my eyes, and I was his feet, and we was tighter than corn on the cob. I sure do miss him. 
This here is the best place in all of Jerusalem to sit if you was a beggar like I was. Right over there behind that beautiful gate is the temple treasury. And they tell me there are seven boxes for the temple tax and six boxes for the offering, but I don't know that. That's just what they say. On a really good day, you could sit right here and make lots and lots of money from them people giving their offerings. My mama, she says, Horace, you should be nice to everyone because it don't cost nothing to be nice to people. My friend Jimmy, he, he said we was no different than the common folk, but we don't have no money. So you have lots of time to think if you was a beggar like I was, especially if you was born blind to boot. I used to wonder why I was born blind. Sometimes I would wonder out loud and people would say to me, well, Horace, it's because your mama and your daddy did something evil in the eyes of God. Once I was just a little boy and I spilled some goat's milk onto the floor and my mama, or my daddy, he yelled at me. He told me I'd done something evil in God's eyes even before I was born. I don't remember that. I didn't want to blame anyone. I was just wondering, that's all. It's not that I minded darkness. I was born blind. It's just that people would spit on me. They said I was unclean, and that's why I couldn't look at the boxes, because I was unclean. But my mama says, Horace, if you ever have to pick between a clean mind and a clean body, it shouldn't even be a contest. Jimmy and I, we used to like to sing. Jimmy, he sang the high voice, and I sang the low voice. And we would harmonize, and people say we sounded real good. Oh, I don't know nothing about that. But we always made more money if we was singing. One day, we were singing with those worshiping people inside the temple, and the music, it just stopped. So I stopped to listen, because my mama says, Horace, you have two ears and one mouth. You better listen twice as much. And that is when the man stopped right in front of me. Master, who sinned, this man or his parents? Well, I knew they was talking about me. I was going to put out my hand and ask that master man for some money. And then I thought, oh, I'll just wait and see what the master man has to say. Because my mama, she says, Horace, people don't look stupid until they open their mouth and start talking. That's when I knew there was someone very smart standing right in front of me because he said, neither this man sinned nor his parents. This has happened so that God would be glorified. <laughs> well, that was my first surprise, and then he spit. But it didn't land on my head, and that was my second surprise. And then he told me to go wash off my eyes in a pool called Siloam, and that was the third surprise. I'd never, ever been to a pool called Siloam. I went down to a, a pool that was called Bethesda all the time because they say there's an angel down there. And if you're there and the angel's there and she puts her finger in the water and stirs up the water, people will be healed. She didn't. Not when Jimmy and I was there, she didn't. 
I've never been to a pool called Siloam, and no one's holding my feet that because them little critters, they marched right over to Jimmy's cart. I picked him up, and we headed straight away that day without saying a word to each other. And that was the biggest miracle of all that day. Jimmy and I, we was the bestest of friends. We talked about everything, but not this day. I think we both knew that something was going to happen to me and that I wouldn't be the same. So Jimmy, he started thinking, I wouldn't need him anymore. I think not being needed can kill a person. And that's what happened to my best friend, Jimmy. When we got down there, I put down his card. I reached out. I held on to his hand because he'd always been there for me. Jimmy! I miss you! After that, everything just went blurry. Oh. J Jimmy. Woo, that hurt. Jimmy. Something's happening to me. Oh, I can s see the light. I can see the light. I can see it. Jimmy looked at me and he said, Run, Horace, run! So I ran, I ran. I said, I can see I can see I can see I can see And there was a man. He was sitting over there. He said, Horace, how come it is that you can see? You were born blind. Oh, I said, well, I know that. But a man, he touched my eyes and now I can see. He said, what was that man's name? I said, I don't know. I'll ask Jimmy. He does everything. Jimmy! Jimmy! Oh, is that you? Jimmy, what was the name of the man who touched my eyes? His name was Jesus! His name was Jesus! Jesus! Oh, I was with everybody. The man, his name was Jesus. And at first I said, oh, he's a smart man. Then I said, no, he's a prophet. But then I could see it. Ah, I could see it. He was the son of God. Ooh, those religious people did not like me saying that at all. They said, well, Horace, you are stupid. I said, stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> they yelled at me. They said, don't you sing with those worshiping people and don't you look at them boxes. And so they excommunicated me again. They were blind because I'd already gone to the temple. Oh, I went all the way into the holiest of holy places. I'd gotten there through a most beautiful gate his name was Jesus Jesus said that he was the light of the world that's all I have to say about that
Let your light fall in the darkness that we may have understanding by your grace. Save us. Thank you. You've done it through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. And so you have step number one. You know, I want to share something very briefly here uh, in conjunction with this first step of see it. Um, why don't you go ahead and bring that down here first since they've got it out here. My mother was here for the first service, and my mother has a family of nine. She's from a family of nine, and uh, there are seven sisters. And when I knew I was coming down here uh, and going to be the children's pastor, I wanted something in my office that would visually remind me of my calling here or my calling uh, at, with children. And so uh, early on, God gave me the idea of shepherding and shepherds. And so as I was traveling, I came across a beautiful wall hanging that was in a children's pastor's office in Texas. I asked her for the, I asked her for the uh, pattern, and she gave it to me. And in January, my mother and her sisters started putting this wall hanging, this quilt, together. And so they came down this April to give it 
uh, to me and present it to me. And I, I just wanted you to see this. It's such a beautiful work of art, and it serves this point to remind me uh, of the revelation God laid on my heart for this church and children's ministry. So I want you to see this. This is going to be hanging in my, in my office wall. This is a quilt, and it was all handmade, all hand-stitched by my mother and her, and her six sisters, so it's quite a treasure. But it, uh, you can tell the sheet that was all designed uh, intentionally. And then th- we're building spiritual formation in children by telling Bible stories, God's Word, making sure that they understand the story in chronological order. And so these are some of the very basic stories that children know and learn. And I just wanted to show you that because I'm very proud of it, <laughs> first of all. And I wanted to show it off a little bit. My mother was here in the first service. And, um, but because of the idea of vision, that's why it hangs there, to remind me continually of God's purposes. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. There is one other thing I want you to see. Unfortunately, um, I'm not going to show you the whole thing, but this is a video clip that I put together for an event that's coming up. Uh, There's a lot of events that I'm doing. If you haven't kind of been part of children's ministry, uh, maybe you haven't noticed that we're doing a lot of things. Uh, But they're all designed intentionally for a reason. Uh, A lot of what I want to do is to bring parents and children together. There is no singular event in the course of my calendar year, personally, that I'm more invested in than what I'm calling the classic. It'll be Memorial Day weekend, and it's for fathers and sons, men and boys. Fathers, dads, men, if you don't have children or if you don't have boys, we still want you to come. We have a lot of fatherless or uh, boys that don't have fathers or abandoned fathers or for whatever reason uh, don't have fathers here, and we want to minister to them. We want to be a, a community to them. Uh, the idea of the, uh, the father in a family is vitally important to spiritual development. It's vitally important to spiritual development. And so I want you to see this. This is the upcoming event we're calling The Classic. And it's over Memorial Day weekend. It's for all men. And we're running it here for the, for the guys uh, in this community and in this church. Love of 
affirming manhood in boys and speaking the Father heart of God. So it's a powerful weekend. If you can join us, there's brochures in the foyer. Uh, Karen will be out there to, to uh, tell you where they are. All right. So here we go. Uh, step number one, if you want to capture a vision, you've got to first see it. That's why we take a moment to show you a couple of those things and talk about numbers 13. But that's only the first step. Step number two, let's go to verse 26. You know how this story goes. This is, this, this is the story, uh, the report of the spies. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, where they are. They reported to them. Verse 27. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there, oh, they're powerful. The cities are fortified. They're very large. <gasps> we saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. Arnold Schwarzenegger lives in the hill country. I added that just to see if you were awake. Here's what I want to get to. It's verse 30. Caleb silenced the people because Caleb understood vision. Caleb and Joshua were men of vision, and they understood who they were in God, and they said, stop it. We should go over and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Men of God who understood vision. They never saw giants. They saw only the greatness of their God and the call of God in their lives. Step number two, folks, it's one thing to go out there and speak forth or see vision, to have a revelation. That's the fun part. When you start speaking vision people get jittery. <laughs> and it puts you in a tight spot because now you're kind of committed. Oh, this is what God is telling me. This is what God is saying for me, for us, for you, for your families, for this community. This is what God is saying. Now you're on the line, aren't you? You see how each step is going to require a little more faith. But I want you to be reminded of who you are in God. The Bible is full of these admonitions. I am joint heirs with Jesus. Say it. I, sh I wouldn't get a bit excited about that. It's just a small matter. I'm a child of the king. Here's one. I'm an overcomer. You know, as a matter of fact, Romans 8, starting with verse 28. Go ahead and put that on there, if you will. This is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. It says so much about our identity in Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to God's word for you, to affirm you in Christ Jesus from Romans 8. Not that one, guys. And we know that in all things, God works together for good that are called. No, no, no. The music's right. The 1 Corinthians 9 is not right. <laughs> Just let the music play, yeah. Just give me that music cue again. Just the music cue, yeah. Do you know this passage of Scripture? More than conquerors? Oh, I love this. First, uh, uh, Romans 12, 8. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. For those, God he for, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he should be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will not he also along with him graciously give us all things? Who is it that brings a charge against those whom God has called? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, no, more than that, was raised to life 
sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on your behalf. Anybody with me? Where are we? I need the, I need the word. Where are we in Romans 8, 28? So who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, disease, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are like sheep that are led to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor past, nor future, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 8. <laughs> That's a powerful passage of scripture that talks about who we are in Jesus Christ. Okay, thanks guys. So we say it, we see it, we say it, but there's one more step. And let's go back and find out what happens here. Numbers chapter 14. I'm going to give you the NIJ version, the New International Jeff, because we're going to go to verse 20. But in the interim, the people rebelled, and God says, I cannot work with them. I cannot work with a people who don't have no vision, who have no faith, who don't trust me, who don't know their identity in me. I cannot do it. God's saying that. That's kind of wrong, but that's my version of it. And Moses defends the people. The defense sounds something like this. God... You cannot destroy this entire race of people because if you do, no one will sign up for wilderness camp next year. He basically says, what about those Egyptians? What will they say? You bring your people out into the desert to slaughter them? That is not going to look good. And so in verse 20, the Lord replied, okay, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And then verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, Caleb has a different spirit, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Yay for Caleb's family. They're going to the promised land. And you know how this story goes. 40 years later, after a generation has been lost, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls come a-tumbling down. There comes a time, folks, when you're talking about vision, you've got to seize it. It's not enough to say it. It's not enough to, it's not enough to see it. You have to seize it. Take hold of it. What is God saying? Step out in faith and do it. As we close, I want to bring one more word picture or metaphor to this idea of casting vision. See it, say it, seize it. I want you to think in terms of a finish line, as Paul admonishes in 1 Corinthians to talk about the race. All right? The finish line is vision. It's that thing that you keep pressing toward the goal, pressing toward the mark. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive his promises. And you press on and you press on. And the prize goes to the person who finishes the race. Finishes the race. 
And so that goal should always be before you. It is vision, the finish line. And I want to tell you something about the race, and you know this. I'm preaching to the choir because we're all in this race together of humanity. You'll lose your way. You'll trip. You'll fall. You'll stumble. You might get off, veer off the path. And yet God is always wooing you, pulling you back to the, back to the course, saying, finish, finish, go forward, finish, vision, vision. Keep looking at the finish line. I want to share with you this recitation as we close to encourage you because I just feel like, you know, as we talk about vision, some of you just kind of get downtrodden. Some kind of get beaten. I believe there's people here today that are just kind of feeling lost. You're not lost spiritually, or maybe you are. We're gonna t- we need to talk about that. <laughs> but you're feeling lost. God's abandoned you, but he hasn't. He's wooing you back to the, back to the course, encouraging you to finish the race, run the race. Go ahead and put this on. And so we'll close with this as we bring our ministry time together here. They all lined up so full of hope. And each thought to win the race or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their father stood along the side, each cheering for his son. And each boy hoped to show his dad that he'd be the one. The whistle blew and off they went. Young hearts and hopes afire to win and be the hero there was each young boy's desire. Now one boy in particular who dad was in the crowd... Running in the lead, he thought, oh, my dad will be so proud. So out across the grassy knoll and down a narrow dip, the boy out in the lead, he stumbled. He lost his step and slipped, trying hard to catch himself. His hands flew out to brace. But amidst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. Down he fell, and with him hope, he'd never win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But when he fell down, his dad stood up and showed an anxious face, a steady look which seemed to say, Get up, boy. Run the race. He rose again. No damage done. Behind a bit, that's all. But he'd have to run with all his might to make up for that fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, that his mind ran faster than his feet, and he slipped and he fell again. He wished he would have quit before, with only one disgrace. Oh, I'm hopeless as a runner. I shouldn't even race. In the midst of laughter of the crowd, he found his father's face. That steady look which seems to say, get up boy, run the race. He jumped back up to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm to gain the lead, he thought, I gotta run real fast. So exerting everything he has, he gains eight yards, then 10, but trying so hard to catch the lead, he slips and he falls again. Now, the will to win has disappeared. All hope has fled away. So far behind, so error-prone, a loser all the way. I've lost. So what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. And then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up. The echo sounded low. Get up. Take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and run the race. The borrowed Willie said, get up. You haven't lost at all, for winning is no more than this. You rise each time you fall. He jumped back up to try once more. Now, with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others, all the most he'd ever been. Still, he ran with all his heart. He ran the race to win. And they cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line first place. No falling down, so arrogant, no losing, 
no disgrace. But when the fallen lad had crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him the biggest cheer for finishing the race. Oh, even though he finished last, his head bowed down, not proud. You would have thought that he'd won to listen to that crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, oh, I didn't do so well. <laughs> to me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. Well, life is kind of like that race. It has ups and downs and all. But winning is no more than this. You rise each time you fall. So quit. I give it up. You are beaten here. They'll yell it in your face. But another voice yells louder still. Get up and finish the race. Get up and run this race. Come on, get up and run this race. Vision, vision. Without vision, people perish. Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord, we just thank you for a time where your word could come to life in a different way today. Lord, we're so thankful that your word never comes back void. Lord, I stand on that passage of scripture that what went forward, Lord, in whatever package, in whatever package it went out, Lord, it doesn't come back void. Father, that everything that was spoken might have been interpreted through your Holy Spirit to be uh, of your heart for these people today. And so, Father, we pause for those who may be lost in a wilderness, those who have been wandering around a mountain for eternity, trying to figure out how to get over the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. Father, your word is clear. The only way to cross into the promises of God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, we can show you the way. You don't have to wander a while. You don't have to walk aimlessly. You don't have to be lost. You can be found today. And you can be found by confessing Jesus is the only Son of God, that His life, His death, and His resurrection, the shedding of His blood, washed away your sins, and made a way for you to cross over to be with God in His perfect, perfect, unholy place. And so if you want to talk about salvation, the pastors are going to be down here to share a word of salvation with you. Make sure you understand how you can do that. But I believe there's another message here today, and it's for people who feel downtrodden, for people who feel weary, for people who may even feel lost even though they're saved. God just wants to bring to you a living hope today. He wants to renew your energy like the wings of an eagle. And I just believe that that time can be done in your pew. It can be done just by hearing the word. But I believe maybe a time at the altar is appropriate for that. A response to what God is saying to your heart. If you feel that way today, we're going to be down here to pray with you to agree together that God would bring a new life to your situation. He'd bring a new energy to your predicament. That he would give you new wisdom and new strength to mount up and above. So if you feel that way and you're in the middle of a journey and you're in the middle of a race and you just feel like you've, just, you've, fallen off, you've fallen off the course a little bit or you just need some help getting back on the path, we're here for that too. So we're going to sing together if you would uh, stand and join us. And while we sing, if you feel God calling you down here, we'd love to share in you with ministry time.